1: Hey everybody and welcome to the return of the Sneaky Good Podcast. Tried it last week, we're still working out the kinks, so it's sort of a lot like LSU football. I am your host, Poser, who was not here last week, and joined by Max. How's it going, Max?
0: You know, we are trying to work out the kinks, but I think we know what the kinks are and are committed to addressing them instead of doubling down on them like some other people.
1: No, we are doubling down on our
0: kinks. That's that right. is cool. Yeah, we are like LSU football.
1: <laughs> I, I plan on making the same mistake as many times as we can.
0: Just got to get and, the ball out of our hands quicker.
1: Yeah, And our producer is now the, the old boss man is the new boss man again. Podcat. At least say hi, Podcat.
0: Hi, Podcat.
1: Let's see. I like to go with the old Groucho Marx joke. We're going to run that one into the ground as we have over the past few years. So – We'll just dive right into the depression, right? Is that is that everyone's plan? We uh, LSU loses week one to UCLA, comes out for week two, gets a huge win on the board, and everybody in Baton Rouge and Tigerland is happy again, right?
0: I was more concerned about the McNeese game than I think I was the UCLA game. Because, like... I, you know, I, I've talked a lot about how they are not putting their offensive line in, in the position to succeed with their protection structures. But, like, the fact that you can't get away with protecting empty against McNeese is kind of a problem because they are all used car salesmen.
1: Hey, some of them are going to sell insurance.
0: Yeah, maybe. If they're, if, you know, if they play their cards right.
1: But, yeah, you're right. Uh, McNeese is not a good team. I, I mean, they are for their level. It's just that they're not on the same level as LSU, or it shouldn't be. And honestly, to give LSU a little bit of credit, the game was never in doubt. They did dominate. They came out early. They had that very long drive, go up 7-0. I mean, they kind of futzed about a bit, but there was never a point in time where you got nervous. It was just that, yeah, like the offensive line always looked bad, and that's a bad sign of things to come.
0: Yeah, I mean they scored fewer points on McNeese than West Florida did. So, you know, I'm a little little concerned about that one. Uh and just like, you know, there was a whole the thing that's got me uh the thing that's got me uh annoyed today because there's always a thing in sports uh is that like SEC Statcat was coming out with all the uh you know, all the analytics today and like LSU was at the bottom of the sec and RPO and play action rate. And you know, they're at the bottom of rushing success rate. They're at the bottom in explosive place. Like all of the things you really need to do in the modern day. And by modern, I don't mean, you know, the last 15 years by modern. I mean, in the last like two.
1: All Heck, I, mean, things- I mean, over the last 15, 30 years, you still need big plays. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. the basis of scoring.
0: Uh, yeah. That's, that's been true, but like as as far as like what you can and can't get away with, in terms of like your protections, in terms of playing with how, a certain amount of receivers on the field, like it, it, it the idea that the spread era is basically more or less over is sort of you know, an increasingly popular idea within schematic circles. Like the 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 times of you being able to just go four wide. No tight end in line inside zone to deal with empty boxes. Throw quick to deal with pressure. Like th- those, er- that era is over because defenses have sufficiently adjusted.
1: I'll say yes and no because the entire history of football, and I don't just mean the last couple years; I mean dating back to the eighteen hundreds. The entire history of football is offenses slowly spreading the field. First they did it vert- horizontally, then they did it vertically, and now they did it horizontally again. That is, if you look, you know, back in the 1940s, everybody ran a really tight formation. Just they just slobber knocked each other. And you know, you, the LSU national championship team of 1958, they just ran the ball down your throat. And it wasn't until the 70s when they started throwing downfield passes, and that was everybody like suddenly discovered the pass. So the co- the idea that the spread is over is erroneous because offenses have always and will always try to stretch the field because that's how you win. You find space.
0: Yes, let me amend that statement. The spread era relative to you know nineteen forty is certainly not over. Uh, the spread era relative to two thousand and fifteen, where everybody was in four open is is pretty like is pretty much over like teams have figured out how to stop the run in light boxes and that's basically kind of throwing the whole thing like away like you can't well the,
1: but that goes to the whole can't. theory again it's like it's always offense innovates and then defense reacts and right now right. the defense reacts so what's going to happen is offense is going to figure out another way to spread the field I, I mean that's just literally the entire history of football so i wouldn't throw it out entirely, because teams are still going to run four-wides. Now, are they going to do it every play? Of course not. It's just going to become another tool in the arsenal. Sort of like how the RPO, when it came out, there were teams that just ran the RPO. And now the RPO is a package. And that's really what happens with every offensive innovation. Is It used to be the shotgun was an offense. And now, hey, you run a couple plays out of the shotgun.
0: Yeah, I mean, the RPO, like... The RPO has kind of been interesting in that it, when it really started, it was kind of an answer to people putting, like people bringing a safety, another safety down in the box. Like it was a single route tagged to something that was an answer to an extra uh, man and run support. But now the RPO has become, for a lot of offenses, a large by and large replacement of their quick game. So you've seen off, you see offenses like Ole Miss, like they'll still have some you know, drop-back quick game concepts that they'll call on, like, third and four. But, like, on first and ten, you're, you know, pretty rarely going to see them just drop back, throw stick, throw, like, double slants, throw spacing, all those other, you know, West Coasty quick game kind of concepts. They are just going to tag it to runs. And so the RPO has basically become both your run game and most of your quick game in the hyper-modern offenses. But, like, they are putting tight ends back on the field, they are creating sure. extra gaps because like you can just get in the tight front right now. You put that zero tech in four eye tech on either side, like Dave Aranda used to do and completely, or at LSU, he's still doing it at Baylor. I miss him, uh, but you can just shut down, you know, these inside zone attacks. And in order to deal with it, you need an extra guy in the formation because you can't run inside zone as a you know, as a complete fallback anymore, so you have to get that extra tight end. Tight end in people are running twelve personnel a lot again. I don't know if fullbacks are back because they want somebody they can pop down the field off play action. But like, tight
1: ends are slowly becoming the same
0: position. Yeah, it's really it, yeah. It's it, we're not it's there, there yet, but
1: like the H back is certainly an evolutionary step of tight ends just becoming fullbacks that line up in the backfield.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: And that's – once again, that's what happens is that there will be innovation and responses. I think from an LSU standpoint, the problem here – well, it's a little bit schematic. Let's let's not lie. But, I mean, the big thing right now is that if you can't block, you can't do anything. Yes, correct. I mean, you, you can have the greatest game plan in the world, but if you can't stop the guy in front of you –
0: yeah, that I think that their inability to block ties in with their schematic issues though because like they have they can't block yet they call plays like they think they can. Like you're in empty protections on every single drop back. Like like at least one guy isn't going to get beat clean on every drop. Like yeah. you you have to have extra guys in the protection if you are going to be able to throw the ball anywhere but, you know, within 10 yards. And LSU doesn't really do that. So they're just remanded to throwing all of their drop back quick concepts and defensive coordinators are going to say, and they kind of already have, okay, we're going to get, you know, in cover one and play tight, or we're going to zero blitz you because you don't have a sixth or seventh guy in to protect. And, you know, we're going to make your quarterback make a react to pressure. And Max Johnson is not Joe Burrow. That is not... Like that is something – what Joe Burrow was doing with these empty protections is the stuff you see from like seventh-year NFL quarterbacks. It's not replicable.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest problems when you think about the modern offense is it – when we think the modern offense, we're only thinking of a few programs. We're thinking of Clemson, Alabama, LSU in 2019, Ohio State. But they could run that offense because they had a NFL quarterback back there. Most teams don't have that. And the problem with Max Johnson is that he's not an NFL quarterback, right. which is not exactly a knock because most college quarterbacks aren't pro quarterbacks. And you need to run an offense that accepts the fact that you just have a decent to good college quarterback.
0: Yeah, and, and, and even Alabama's not running you know that – you know, what you refer to as the modern offense, they're not running it anymore. Like no, they're no, playing in no. 12 all the time. They are running play action and RPOs on like half of their dropbacks. Like they are giving their quarterbacks a lot of support. Uh, and, you know, their quarterbacks are Tua and Mac Jones and now Bryce Young. LSU is giving Max Johnson, you know, less schematic support than they even gave Joe Burrow, who was really asked to be great. And obviously, cause he was, uh, and like, you know, the results are pretty predictable.
1: Yeah. And another thing that has bothered me is one of the things that Edo has been good at in his tenure at LSU has been his ability to adjust. Right. Uh, Very rarely has his plan A worked here. And he has been very good about going to plan B, plan C, I mean, all the way down to plan Z in some cases. He he has been really flexible, just flexible in all ways. And in the first two games of this season, it seems that LSU has come out, and the offense actually has looked pretty good on its first drive in both games. The UCLA game, they didn't score, but they were moving the ball. They, you know, they, uh, Besh caught a couple of nice routes underneath. They got some first downs. It stalled out, but it looked like a functional offense. It looked like eventually it was going to work. Against McNeese, it took seven minutes, but still, it was a good, methodical drive that kind of broke the will of your opponent, and they scored. And then for the rest of the game, they couldn't react to once the defense said, oh, this is what they're doing, we're going to adjust. And then LSU just kept battering their head into the wall over and over and over again. And that, I think, is the biggest concern for me because this was Edo's biggest strength. And all of a sudden, it's just not there.
0: Right. That that kind of, you know, humble pride absent pragmatism that defined the early years of the Edwards run era kind of seems to be gone like they are insistent that they that their solution to the problem is to protect with empty and oh we'll deal with pressure by getting the ball out quicker like you're getting the ball out perfectly quick your your quarterback's average depth of target is like eight which you know for college is a little ridiculous like Joe Burrow when he was running a pretty quick game, heavy offense was at like ten.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's very similar to I, this is going to make all of our listeners shudder. Shutter. It's very similar to Les Miles. It, Les it Miles is. It is. Just had an idea of in his head. This is the image of my team, and no matter what, I'm going to make this team fit in the image. And right now, we're just slamming a square peg in a round hole.
0: Yeah, it's it's a. It's funny because back in 2015, we were all like, I want a modern 2015 offense. And, you know, that monkey's paw curled and in 2021 gave it to us.
1: Well, the good news is we got a national title out of the deal. so Which is also in the story of monkey's paw. I mean, the kid does come back to life. Yeah. Win some, lose some. And the good news is if Ed Orgeron's strength is adjustments, he's just doing it slowly And he still has more chances because Central Michigan probably won't put up much of a fight.
0: Or will they? Yeah, they did almost beat Missouri. God,
1: that's concerning, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, normally I'd say, oh, it's Missouri, whatever. But, you know, Missouri.
1: Yeah, and and Missouri tends to be one of those programs that's just competent. They're never great, but they tend to be okay. And for Central Michigan to hang with a team that's okay – speaks that Central Michigan can create problems for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, they can. Like, if, if if LSU goes out and, you know, makes a lot of mistakes and does a lot of the things that kind of whittle down the talent gap, they could absolutely find themselves in some hot water. The problem for Central Michigan, I think, is that they really love to just get in the gun, run inside zone, uh, inside zone, split zone, H-back inserts, like all that stuff. And if they can't block the likes of Mason Smith, they're going to have a problem doing that. Um, so, so we're kind of counting on that talent cap there. But like, like they're not going to do. I don't think like I've watched both of their games. I don't think they're going to do anything crazy in the run game that is really going to account for their talent cap. But I mean, they moved Missouri off the ball and they and they ran the ball down their throats.
1: And if we're looking for. Positives out of the McNeese game, the defense looked a lot better, and it's not like they looked terrible against UCLA,
0: particularly yeah, in the I, first half. It was a lot of explo- it was it was a handful of explosive plays. It was kind of week one kind of stuff when you think about it.
1: Yeah, I think what it is is that we all have PTSD, right? From I, I agree. And I, the only real concern I had about the defensive performance against UCLA was that they didn't get a stop at all in the second half. The big plays didn't bother me that much, particularly the ones in the first half. I mean, because the other team's trying too. Right. But it was mainly that, yeah, you're going to give up big plays, but you need to mix in stops. And if you watch the first half against UCLA, the LSU defense was all over the place. And yeah, they gave up some big plays, but they also made some really big plays as well. And in the second half, they were giving up big plays, but they weren't mixing in the positives.
0: Yeah, they sort of McNeice. fell apart.
1: Yeah, and against McNeese, I mean, they dominated McNeese. And once again, yes, it's McNeese, but they needed that. They needed to show, hey, this can still be a good defense.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they're a little rigid, I think, schematically, like particularly in their fronts. Like they're in the same four down over and under front, you know, f- and flipping back between the two like all the time. So anybody who's smart in the run game and is able to design run schemes well – is going to give them a lot of problems. Like that, that's one of the reasons I think they're about they. when I don't know when they play Ole Miss, but they're going to get, they're going to give up. I think they're going to give up a lot of points, but like yeah. against central Michigan, I think it should be fine.
1: So, yeah, we look at the, the question is with, when you're looking at the McNeese game, Okay, so the, honestly, from the stats of the UCLA, they only they allowed 7.46 yards of play, which is not great, but it's not cover-your-eyes awful. McNeese, they were at 2.29. That's great, but once again, consider the opponent. I think for LSU, their recipe for success this year relies entirely on the defense. Yeah. I I don't, think, I don't think we can write off the offense entirely. I don't think it's
0: that bad,
1: but they need the defense to be good to great. And the question is, can they?
0: Yeah, I think the, the, the offense. I th- I think the offense, if it doesn't make major adjustments, like the ones I've kind of you know harped on about, it is. I think it it is that. I think it is that bad. I think it is basically has the potential to be as bad as any in the SEC. Like I think they're looking at Mississippi State last year territory if they don't adjust.
1: I mean, they did score twenty seven against UCLA.
0: Yeah, but UCLA like over the last couple of years, I said one of the worst defenses in the entire country.
1: Okay, true.
0: So, like, okay. like they talked about, you know, oh, UCLA's defense looks so improved. And, you know, look, maybe, I hope so, but, like, the fact that, you know, it looks so difficult and they relied on a couple of, you know, huge plays by Keishon Boutte where he broke, like, broke two tackles. two Like, two, two of your touchdowns cannot come because one guy is just... You know, breaking a couple tackles. Like, well, he could he have, is, a lot he's worse. always
1: going to be there because Keyshawn Boutte is awesome.
0: Right. But, he, he, but the next time he's going to be trying to break, you know, Josh Job or Kyrie Elam's tackle instead of, you know, UCLA car salesman number three.
1: Yeah. And you look at it like from a standpoint of yards per play right now, yeah, LSU is near the bottom of the conference. And that's not where you want to be. So this is, yeah, it's not a good offense right now, but what really it's dragging it down because Max Johnson's numbers, they're not terrible yet, though. I do agree. They're getting worse when he gets pressured. Uh, he's looked terrible under pressure. The real thing is, is there any answer for the run game?
0: Well, I mean, so yes and no, like it's clear that they went into the season just planning to, do the approach that teams had in 2015 when you know you spread the field, get into four wide, get into 10 personnel. And by the way, not considering Jack Besh a tight end, so whenever he's the t- only tight end on the field, you're in 10 personnel because he's like 215. But like they're doing the thing that teams used to do, like Texas Tech used to run the ball this way. Um, TCU used to run this ball this way where they would get into 10 personnel and force the defense to totally empty the box in, you know, an otherwise normal front and then just run inside zone into the space. And that's how you generate efficient run game. But you know, when the tight front kind of spread and people were able to take away inside zone with five guys in the box, like that, that stopped becoming a thing. So it's 2021 and uh, not to mention the fact that they literally just can't block people.
1: So, yeah, like, I, I, you know, this is one the of those things. I know, I mean, it's the old saying of Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. I, I think it's a Jimmies and Joes issue more. Yeah, than it,
0: it. yeah. It, 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 like even even when they've been playing favorable front, like against UCLA, they played a lot of tight and eliminated their inside zones games schem- schematically. But like against McNeese, like McNeese was playing some four down, a lot of the stuff you kind of want to run inside zone against. And, like, they just didn't block people. So, like, you could get the perfect look against, say – I mean, of course, teams like Alabama and Texas A&M are going to get in the right fronts. they're well-coached. But, like, even if they're in the perfect front you want to run inside zone against, like, if you have DeMarvin Leal, like, throwing your guard into the center of the earth, like, it's not going to matter.
1: Well, good thing we have John Emery coming back. Oh, right, of course. (laughs) I mean, that's the kind of thing that just sinks a program. I know it's just one player, but if you sell yourself as the CEO coach, you gotta manage off the field stuff.
0: Yeah, you can't have like that. It's it's not that John Emery's you know John Emery's mishap. Well, not his mishap. The mishap involving him. Yeah,
1: we don't. We don't really know the mishap yet, right. so we'll call so, it the mishap. Is probably the right. Best way
0: whatever. To whatever happened. The incident. Like, well, that makes it seem like a crime happened. The the, yeah. the mis- mishap. The uh, whatever this mishap is, like, independently sure whatever. Like the Christian Fulton thing happened, and that was like kind of nobody's fault. That one kind of sucked, but like it's this kind of thing that indicates a lack of control and you can't, and the lack of control is going to seep into every other cavity of the program and sink you.
1: Yeah. I I think that's the big thing. It's like, it doesn't look like this is a well-managed program off the field. And I, I'm I'm reluctant to ever compare us to Bama ever uh, because that's just the theft of joy kind of thing. But and I, you don't need to be that humorless of a program that's that, you know, you don't need to be the Death Star. But at the same time, there's just basic management things you need to be doing. And it doesn't seem they're anywhere near – look, compared to A&M.
0: Yeah, compared to uh, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Although Oklahoma had a bunch of guys suspended before the playoff game and then got their doors blown in a couple of years ago. But, you know, that's
1: – But like Texas A&M seems like they know what's going on off the and It seems like they're all, you know, pulling the same rope, you know, to use the – use the expression it's just and and it seeps all the way down to stuff like player development like you go out there you sign all these big recruits and it doesn't seem that anybody's developing
0: yeah i can't like i the you kind of go through these recruiting classes like a couple like the class from a couple years ago when you have stingley and kate york like yeah, I think Kate York might be the second best player out of that class. I think and, he might be the best player out of that class now that sure. Stingley's kind of dealing more nagging injuries.
1: Like, I mean, and I, I love Kate York, but he's still a kicker. A kicker yeah. should not be your second most productive player out of your class.
0: Yeah, that's that's bad, and, and, and that's and, why he couldn't survive last year.
1: Yeah, it's just a bunch of guys who uh, um, just didn't develop, and even guys who are playing. I, we're talking like the top, like Ica. You know, he's pretty good, but he's not a star. A um, uh, Tyrion Davis Price. Uh, he's starting, but kind of because we have no other options. I mean, he, he's an SEC back, but he hasn't really blown anybody's doors off.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if it's his fault because their runs yeah. in line can't do anything. But like, yeah, yeah
1: totally agree. Uh, yeah, and that's where you get into it. It's like who's They're in calling? the line? Yeah, and, and then you like Trey, uh, Trey Palmer. I mean, you know, he's. He's contributing. I mean, he's a good wide receiver, but he's not like – I mean, he was a huge recruit. Yeah, and, he was. And you start going down the line. You know, Mo Hampton, you know, you know just getting nothing out of that. And Cardell Thomas. Yeah, Cardell Thomas. I mean, you just look – and we're not digging at the bottom of the class. This is the top of the list, guys. And look, everybody misses on a couple of recruits. It happens. I mean, that's why you sign as many good people as you can because it's math. You know, if you sign 10 great players, you hope, you know, six or seven of them pan out. But right now it's down to one or two. And if it's only one or two panning out after a while, that's not bad luck. That's you.
0: Right. Yeah. It's like it, play like I do. I, I. the last thing I want to do is downplay the importance of blue chips and recruiting rankings. Cause those things are real and have a significant impact. Totally agree. But at the same time, like, there's a little bit of variance within the, you know, the general guidelines. Like if you're within like, you know, this blue chip ratio, like there's still some variance program to program and like development Clemson is not Clemson is recruiting year in, year out at LSU's level, similar level, sometimes even slightly worse. They're not recruiting at the Alabama, Georgia, and now Ohio state level, but no. they're recruiting at LSU's level, yet they are getting a lot more out of those players. And like you could, you could put a somewhat similar. Uh, in fact, I don't. I, if I remember correctly, LSU's like slightly ahead as of last year. I don't remember, but like, uh, yeah, I think LSU, you're right. their doors kicked in even by a poorly schemed Clemson offense because their offense is dated too. But like. Oh my god! Like the difference between LSU and Clemson, despite recruiting at a similar level, is legitimately alarming.
1: You know, we will throw in the caveat that they get to play in the ACC, but still, I do agree with you. It's LSU right now, just looks lost. They don't. And look, there's still time because if you know, we get in back into the wayback machine. LSU looked terrible to start off 2017. If you remember yeah. the hot takes going around, people were legitimately wondering if LSU was going to win one or two SEC games.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, they got beat 37-7 by Nick Fitzgerald.
1: I mean, they looked awful. And then they upset you know, upset Florida in a very ugly game and then have the miracle against Auburn and they're off to the races. And two years later, they win the national title. Right. So I don't want to say, hey, things are going bad in the first month your season is screwed because it's not a lot of things can happen. Uh, We're still early. You you know, this is a good time for them to consolidate. And I think you're right. a lot of things in UCLA first game jitters, kind of things, stuff that can be corrected. All that said, that's my huge caveat of like, not the panic yet. Almost every indicator right now is bad.
0: Right. Yeah. Excluding like the fact that, you know, Oh yeah, we're going to get Kayshawn Boutte drafted in the top 10. Like, You know, right.
1: He's the one thing going great.
0: He's awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't want to be TCU where we have two, three first round picks every year and go like five and seven.
1: Yeah. And and you're just sitting there. And if you're saying, hey, how is this going to turn around? And I'm really kind of at a loss. I don't. And and this isn't to say I'm looking at the schedule and I don't see any wins. Uh, I think that's a bit myopic. This early, because honestly, we have no idea who's good and who's not. Um, uh, w- my wife and I, we were watching the Texas-Arkansas game, and she turned to me and says, is Texas that bad or is Arkansas this good? And I'm like, nah, who knows? Because <laughs> like 2020 is such a crapshoot. We have no idea who's good and who's bad. I mean, we know Alabama's awesome. Like, we, we know that. Um, but by and large, you, you look at the middle class of college football – It's kind of a guessing game at this point. Arkansas might not be that good. Texas could just be that bad. Or vice versa. Maybe Texas is still pretty good, and Arkansas is much, much better than we think. And then we're in deep trouble.
0: Yeah, I mean, Arkansas – the one thing I will give Arkansas is that – and I hate to do this because Kendall Bryles is bad. We don't like Kendall Bryles because he's bad.
1: bad Yeah, he's a bad person. Uh, We're okay with saying
0: that. Like, Kendall Bryles is terrible as a guy, but, like, he's – like, he's doing a really, really good job scheming that offense and making their sketchy quarterback's life. Like, KJ Jefferson, big arm, not very accurate, not a really good processor. You know, maybe he comes along as the season goes on. We see that all the time. But, like, he's a great athlete. And the way they're scheming stuff up, you know, in the the option game is impressive despite last year being, you know, an RPO play-action vertical offense – which you know I I love because that's that's the the way to be efficient nowadays, but like so they're going to be well schemed on that side of the ball and on defense they have Barry Odom and he's great, so yeah. Yeah, he's, so if, if LSU doesn't get it together they are actually going to be ex- they're going to be able to X's and O's their way to kill LSU,
1: and I think that's really what you are. look at it right now You're like okay. LSU is 1-1 one and one right now. They lost the good team they played. They beat the bad team they played. They're probably going to beat Central Michigan this week, so we're not going to learn a whole lot. But what you want to see right now are building blocks. Hey, this is what we're working on, so the good version of LSU will look something like this. And right now, I can't tell you what that is.
0: Yeah, it's not running what they're doing on offense. And as for the defense, like we haven't seen them – since the only time we've seen them kind of forced to schematically adjust is UCLA, and that went poorly because Chip Kelly eventually figured out that they were staying in those over and under fronts, and they were staying in cover one, and started calling like you know a lot of a lot of cool stuff in the run game that that pin and pull that all the uh, touchdown that all the scheme guys are excited about, um, and all and all that, and a lot of play action stuff to the tight ends off it that kills cover one. I will say evidence. that
1: one of the nice things is that most coaches are not Chip Kelly, right? I mean, he he gets paid like he does for a reason because it's certainly not his recruiting. The guy knows how to coach offense, but so do a lot of guys in the SEC. I mean, we already mentioned Ole Miss. We we're just talking about Arkansas. I mean, obviously Bama, A and M's. Well, A M's offense has got problems, but their defense is just lights out, great.
0: Yeah, it's it's like it's so good. Uh, my, I mean, Mike Elko is Mike Elko is one of the best defensive coordinators in the entire country. I can't believe I, that guy's not a head coach.
1: Actually, I would look at it like this. Right now, A&M is the good version of LSU right now. where yeah. you, you have an offense that's kind of muddling through. Uh, Haynes King is hurt, so they're not going to have him for a while. That's um, a
0: problem for them. It, their it, backup it, is. is terrible.
1: Yeah, their, their offense looked terrible. They, they They almost should have lost last week against Colorado. Yeah. Uh, Colorado had more than enough chance to put them away but that defense is lights out great so when you're talking a m you're like okay what's the good version of a m well there it is you know an offense that's good enough to keep the lights on and just this amazing offense i mean amazing defense they have recreated less miles in 2011
0: <laughs> yeah they like they have i mean maybe not 2011 well, because yeah maybe not 2011. Talent, but like 2015 no 2014 2015, like <laughs> Before they
1: totally got it together, but yeah, yeah. like you can look at that A and M team and say, okay, that's what they the good version of them is. And LSU right now, while they've got the pieces for that kind of defense, it has not come together, and it's mainly because of the linebackers.
0: And did you foresee it being this big of a problem? No, because I thought like I thought after last year, the one thing you can't do is have assignment issues and communication issues, and they have assignment and communication issues.
1: I'm totally with you. And that's another, That's where we go back to the, if you're the CEO, these are the things that shouldn't be happening.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's like ha- having, may, maybe it's just because they played, you know, a very well-schemed offense in the first game of the year. And there True. were, but it's, it, in a normal year, I would have dismissed it. As that, but I can't do that after, like, you know, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't really feel like game one as much as it feels like game 11.
1: Yeah. And my thing is, I, I'm i very big on giving everybody a pass for 2020. You're playing in empty stadiums. You didn't have an offseason, really. Teens were just decimated with most teams, couldn't even field enough players, and the SEC kind of worked around his rules so teams could keep playing, even though they didn't have enough roster. Um, so 2020 is a bad look at who's good. And once again, at a middle-class level, like BAM was able to navigate because of the death star. So I, I don't want to say, Hey, LSU is not good in 2020. So they're not going to be good in 2021. So I've been giving them a, a pass for it. Like they just get no blame for that year. But if you're having the same problems you had in 2020, now in 2021, it starts to become more relevant.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I it's hard for me to imagine the defense being similar. Um, but, like, you know, we didn't see last year's defense against Cupcake teams. Like, I wonder what that would have, like, would they have done what they did against McNeese last year? Would they have, you know, busted a million assignments and given up, like, 17 points? Who Like, who knows? It's, it, it's kind of hard to, uh, to compare the two. I, I, like, I think you're just going to have to wait until the season gets more of the way. What-
1: yeah, well, like, we're in the middle of playing it out. But this feels like 2015. Uh, uh, as much as I've mentioned 2017, this feels like 2015, Les Miles' last hurrah, where it was just you spend the entire year arguing about the head football coach and you just white-knuckle it through the year. And maybe he survives and maybe he doesn't. But all of the issues that have been there for the entire tenure come to a head.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It it really feels like they just lost to Wisconsin, then beat Jacksonville State. Yeah. Uh, and instead of playing uh, Auburn, you know, they've got like another week before. Like I, The thing is, like we were talking about this on the last podcast, if they go out against Mississippi State, play a ton of, you know, straight man coverage and get torched again, that's it. Like, that's got to be – like, that's that's a huge – that's a breaking point right there because you get nationally humiliated, you know, the first game off your national championship because you refuse to get out of man coverage against an offense that has a complete and easy blueprint to stop with any, te- with any yeah. personnel.
1: Yeah, no. I, and it's just – 2017 was such a white-knuckle ride. Where just everything went wrong and they somehow pulled the plane out of the ditch. And now you're looking at 2021. How is this still happening? And it makes it changes. it reframes 2019 because instead of it, originally it looked like, well, he had these early problems, he addressed them, he solved them, then boom, he built this awesome program. He built this Death Star, and they're going to go on and win title after title. Instead now it's looking like he was having all these problems and then he he pulled off a recruiting coup, had the most talented roster ever won a title. And then once they left, he went back to who he was and the same exact problems existed.
0: Yeah. And that's definitely obviously what it looks like. But the one thing I sort of struggle with is like, how is it so, you know, complete? Like I know the defense struggled at times, but like that was kind of at a time when there weren't really any really great defenses except for Ohio State who was playing Big 10 teams. And like and they eventually figured it out and shut down like their last five opponents, but like how is it like how are they developing talent so well that they got that all three of their rece- well two all, all two both of their big receiver recruits hit. They developed Justin Jefferson into a star. Yeah. Who, no, have been the best receiver on that team now that we're now that we're seeing their NFL careers. And like, I mean, the defense was overall decent. Like,
1: well, I think the the defense turned into a strength at the end of the year.
0: It really it did. Became like,
1: it became great. But like yeah, it took a while.
0: Yeah. Like what they did, like, like Trevor Lawrence completed less than 50% of his passes. In that game, like that is something an elite defense would do. I don't like. I don't know if there's another time where you know you think of all like the big time games Trevor Lawrence has played in his career where he looks so lost.
1: And, and yeah, and I do think Orton gets all, he gets the credit for that. I mean, if we're going to criticize him for bringing in talent now and not developing it, he gets right. credit for bringing in talent and developing in 2019. I mean, he he shopped for the groceries to use the you know old Bill Parcells line and he did run things great. You know, you had guys there was this commitment to winning or you know, there was this attitude of, you know, we're going to punch you in the mouth kind of stuff. And this aggressive, hey, we're going straight at you Alabama. We don't care. You know, it was a big, you know, just FU kind of attitude about yeah. the program. And there's still the FU, but if, before the UCLA game where he curses out the fan, why well, does he curse him out? But it just seems sad.
0: Right. Like there's nothing You know, the line between confidence and arrogance seems to be, like, substantiation. So, like, if you've you've got a great team that is confident in doing all this stuff, like, they're confident and they are, you know, secure. But, like, when you have a, you know, ship with so many holes and you're kind of lashing out like that, you just seem, you seem defensive, like, almost defensive. I mean, I, like...
1: There's to use the full no, metal jacket there. thing, it's like uh, the phony, t- you know, uh, what is it, the fake tough and the phony brave,
0: right? And like the 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 degree to which they just don't seem to know what their problems are is is kind of crazy. Like like Ed Orgeron was talking on his radio show last Wednesday. Somebody sent this to me on Twitter, and, so, and he was saying like oh, you know, we know like this stuff works offensively. We did it in 2019. I'm like, okay, you know, you try to shove the keys to a Volkswagen Jetta into a Ferrari's ignition and it's not going to start.
1: Yeah. Yeah, or you just, you know, put in the wrong gas and, you know, they're putting an unleaded gas into a diesel car.
0: Right, yeah, that's a better example, actually.
1: But yeah, no, it's the same. I think you're right. It's hey, this worked in 2019 when we had one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time is not a good argument. Right. And and this inability to adjust after that being your thing, man, I think that's what's hurting me right now is that Orjón has been so good at, oh, this isn't working? No problem. I'm going to try this. And just think it on the fly and – Honestly, not even getting down on himself. His, in, his incredible belief in himself is kind of staggering and impressive. And I just don't see it now. It looks like he's play-acting himself.
0: Yeah, no, I think, that's, I think that's gone. Like, I think, I, I, I think he's kind he of – He's here for footsteps
1: <laughs> now, and he's worried. No, think, yeah. And he's not coaching like he did before when he was – where that arrogance was real arrogance. You know he was really cocksure, and I think he's just taken so many blows over the last year and a half that I think every time he tries to be arrogant, it feels like he it's pretend.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like back when he first got the job. Over the first like three years he had the job, he knew that he Ed Ogeron were the was the man for the LSU football job, and no matter what happened, his conviction in that you know one sentence was 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 driving him to make the changes and and you know do all the right things that he did and like I, I, I think if you if Ed Ogeron looked himself in the mirror and said i'm the man for the LSU head football job i just don't think it would feel as it would fe- it, it would feel a little bit more phony than it did 3 years ago
1: yes and, and it's you know it goes to the old drive by truckers line the secret to a happy ending to know when to roll the credits.
0: Right. Yeah, you either, you know, you either die at Ogeron or you live long enough to see yourself become Les Miles. Yeah, that's exactly right. If Les Miles
1: gets fired after 2015, if he wins the Texas A&M game and they go through and fire him, he walks away and is a totally different story about him. Well, I think the Hush Blackwell report would change everything, but... Yeah, that's true. For a while.
0: For a couple years. For
1: a while at least. But going into 2016, and what's weird about 2016 is nothing changed. Like, he was still the same guy. Honestly, what changes is that the replay went against him instead of for him. Because that, you know, the game he got fired on in Auburn, LSU got the playoff scores, the touchdown, they won, and then the rest came in and say, no, you know, it was was too late. And those were reviews that kind of went – those were gambles that paid off before, and this time it didn't. And so now we just had enough. But the thing is, you had had enough last year. You have to know when you've had enough. And when coaches get to this point in their tenure, when everyone's just talking openly about what your biggest flaws are, very rarely do you rally back.
0: Yeah. And, and I think like the thing about Ed Orgeron is, is that's, you know, like you've been saying this whole time is so disheartening is that he's been there before and come out of it. He's one of the few guys that has. And like this time he's just digging himself deeper into the hole. Like, what do you mean? You guys need to get rid of the ball quicker. Like you, you are not generating explosive plays at all. You're last in the sec in explosive, you know, pass percentage. And like, you know, how is getting rid of the ball quicker going to do that? Like, I know Max Johnson, you know, has a problem with pulling the trigger and letting the perfect be the enemy of the good and holding to the ball too long and passing up makeable throws. But, like, man, more quick game is not going to solve this. Like, all you do is run, you know, that mirrored stick and double slant and space. Because more short
1: passes. And short passes are not going to help a run game that's averaging less than three yards a carry.
0: Right, like more, like they're they're near the bottom in the SEC and RPO rate. Which you, you need guys going downfield because right. you need to
1: clear that box out.
0: Right, and the only way that LSU is going to be able to do that is by protecting with you know is by doing what Ole Miss does and now and now Alabama does, despite having the best offensive line in. You
1: yeah, know, we we don't, we don't have the best offensive line, but
0: but like they do, even even with that offensive line, they're protecting with seven on their play action deep shots. And, and honestly. Our offensive line shouldn't be this bad. No, it shouldn't. It, it, it's cra- it should not be worse than, like, South Carolina's offensive line. It, it's
1: a terrible offensive line right now.
0: I mean, even the highly recruited guys are bad. Like, Austin Deculus was a high yep. four-star, and, you know, he's in his, like, fourth year starting and has literally just been – I said that's this on exactly the last podcast. Stuff. I don't want him to hear this because he could rip me in half of his hands. But, like, I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, he's exactly the guy you need to be performing. One of those guys who's been a starter for so long, a, you know, big time recruit, and, and he's just not. And yeah, he he could kill both of us with, with not even a second's thought. So we love you, Austin.
0: It's okay, Austin. Don't do anything impulsive. You know, jail's bad.
1: But yeah, and, and the question here is like, we don't find out anything about the team this week. It can. O- and the, that's the worst thing about it. When you're kind of in this morass of this, you need something. You need a Florida game. You need an Auburn yeah. game to measure yourself. Because even if it goes badly, at least you know.
0: Right. Although if this goes badly, we know.
1: You go, obviously. Yeah. If you lose this, it's, you know, this is beyond Troy. Um, but yeah, even the next week is Mississippi state. There, there's no good outcomes for the next two and a half weeks.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. like mean, I mean,
1: 56 to nothing, which you're not.
0: I will say if they play Mississippi State and you know they learn you know their lesson and they start dropping eight and clogging up those passing windows and give them trouble, I will be happy, and, yeah. and provided they win, you know, because you know they have to win. But like if they go do that and learn their lesson and do that, I will be, I will be able to sleep pretty well with that. And uh,
1: does anyone think that Max Johnson couldn't hit Booty and in, uh, in double coverage? Like I mean, he, I,
0: I don't I, know. I mean, he I mean, does not have the he does not have the arm to fit balls into those kind of windows unless he's really accurate, which he sort of isn't.
1: I think his bigger problem is panic when he yeah, had no, that is the bigger problem to, when he that had talked to UCLA. Example. He looked good. I mean, once again, he's not you know he's not Joe Burrow where you can just put it in the tiniest window you've ever you know could imagine. But he's a college quarterback and. I think you just have to adjust your expectations based on that sentence. He's a college
0: quarterback, right? I don't necessarily think like he's all that much worse than you know. I'm trying to think of a a guy who's clearly a like a system guy who's benefiting yeah. from super friendly like Matt Corral is, but he's way more physically talented. He's got a way bigger arm. We can but use like, Danny. Like, like, yeah, sort of. Him. Because like he, he they generated a lot of explosive plays because of how good Mac Canada was at play action. But like, yeah, I mean, he's Danny Etling wasn't like ultra productive though. I'm trying to think of like a guy that is in one of these systems. I, I, you know, I wanted to use Mac Jones, but now that he's starting in the NFL, like, yeah, he's that, yeah, he's Mac Jones might actually be good at this. Uh, but like, um, you, you know, there are there are guys like that that are just. And there always have been. They've just been in different systems.
1: And right but, now, the system's not helping.
0: Right now, the, the system the system is demanding more that than the offensive line can give, which is very little. And it's demanding Max Johnson process, you know, in a, in these straight drop back empty protection situations, like he's Patrick Mahomes. Like that's that. Like the Chiefs have been kind of talked about in that regard. Like, oh, how do they get away with, you know, so many empty protections and, you know, so many straight dropbacks? I'm like, well, you know, he's they're paying they're paying him five hundred million dollars.
1: So, yeah, the the system has broken down and that. Is how our podcast is going as well, so <laughs> I'm going to log it off now and say, go Tigers,
0: for the love of God, please beat Central Michigan. Wait a second. We got a uh, we got a question from the audience.
1: Oh, we do have a question. For the see.
0: audience. Yeah, I see. Podcast threw that in the chat. Oh. yeah. Actually, I do have a question, and I, I I sort of don't want to belabor the points that have been made over the last hour, but and it's certainly not the only problem that we're experiencing right now. But I wonder, if you guys, take on how much of the offense's problems do you think are related to the fact that. You know, we uh, related to losing Miles Brennan right after, right after summer camp ended. Like going, th- going through all of summer practice, and then like, you know, what, what was it—a week, two weeks before? Yeah, I, I think it's a fair point. Bam, Brennan's out of there.
1: Yeah, that, that's a fair point. I mean, you look at what t- we brought up Texas and m earlier. A King getting hurt made their offense look terrible.
0: Yeah, it's true. So,
1: so there was an element of, oh my god, what are you going to do? But to counter that. This was a program that was basically talking about how great Max Johnson was and how he was so far ahead of everybody. He was going to be the starting quarterback because of what he looked like. Now they could have been just blowing smoke up people, but it seemed like they genuinely thought Max Johnson was the guy.
0: Yeah, they were like they were either del- like I, you know, I wrote two things about this and got you know ratioed pretty hard on Twitter for saying it, but Miles Brennan was way, way, way better than Max Johnson in similar conditions a year ago. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Miles Brennan would be would he solve the problem against, you know, good teams? No. He would not. Like they would still really struggle when they have to go against Texas A&M and Alabama, uh, of course, and you know, any really good defenses they may play. But like he's you know, we saw him become a quarterback that was confident pulling the trigger down the field very accurate, throwing the ball down the field, and explosive. So he, you know, he he dampens your mar- – well, no, he improves your margin of error by creating a lot more of those explosive plays. He gets the ball out quicker on those, you know, vertical concepts. Like he's way more confident. You don't see double clutching. You don't see hesitation. So, like, yeah, I mean, you're going to get a lot more big – you would have gotten a lot more big plays out of him your offense would have eventually stalled against teams that could rush the passer even a little bit. But like we saw him a year ago, operate kind of under similar conditions and really tear it up. Like he had his WR one, you know, he had Marshall, he would have had Boutte this year. And like, so would it be, would it be better enough to go be a really good football team? No, no, it wouldn't have, but it would, it would be probably would have been good enough to beat UCLA and put up, you know, 48 on McNeese. Like it would have have been noticeably better. But it's not like Max Johnson is the primary problem because he's being asked to do way more than is reasonable.
1: Yeah, I think you can win with him. But I do think Miles Brennan is a better quarterback, so we'd be a better team if he was back there.
0: Yeah, and and, and it's the explosive plays here really make the big difference. And, And the fact that Brennan was one of the most explosive passers in the SEC when he played and Johnson one of the least.
1: I do think Brennan gives you that big playability
0: that Johnson really doesn't have.
1: He's supposed to come back, but I don't know if he's ever going to come back and be Miles Brennan.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I was worried about him coming back and being Miles Brennan off the hip, period. Uh, and now, you know, throwing yeah. him middle of the season off of this, like, yeah, that's that seems seems like a recipe for disaster. I'd rather, play, if,
1: I'd rather play Garrett Nussmeyer. So would I. It's the future. So uh, this is a year where we're almost all. I don't want to say we're already looking at the future, but we're close to it, just already looking at the future. And that is depressing because it is still mid-September.
0: Yeah, we. I do want to touch on Garrett Nussmeyer because he, he was a big topic of conversation on Saturday. The problem with playing Garrett Nussmeyer now is that, like, I mean, yes, he's way more talented than Max Johnson. Like, one snap told us that. But at the same time, like – you put Garrett Nussmeyer who's just learning you know, how to process at the college level in a system that asks him to be Joe Burrow. That's bad. You're going to re- in a system that doesn't protect the quarterback and doesn't even try to, cause they're an empty all the time. You might ruin him completely. Like you yeah, might you break get- him sort of like the Cardinals broke Josh Rosen.
1: Or you get, you know, Miles Brennan in, in the NFL right now. I mean, he's right. rallying cause he's, you know, I mean, sorry, Joe Burrow. Um, he's rallying cause he's still Joe Burrow. But you put Joe Burrow behind the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line; he's a different
0: quarterback, right? You know, yes, but like Joe Burrow is such an advanced processor; his timing is so good, all of that technique is so good. Like he was, he was the most advanced quarterback I've ever seen come out of college. Uh, the only reason he wasn't a better prospect than Andrew Luck is, you know, the the noodle arm. But like with with Nussmeier, like he's a, a true freshman. Like I, I, I do think of him kind of as you know, Matt Corral 2.0, where he's going to be this you know, gunslinger who's not a great processor but is a very gifted thrower. Yes. So you, you have to. Right now. Yes, but the problem is the system demands elite processing or it's going to be terrible. Like if you put Matt Corral in LSU's situation, he'd throw like three interceptions a game.
1: Hey, doctor Bo Bowe's got to operate. We can bring back those days.
0: Oh my god! I, I early 2014, I was like, "Hey, Bo Wallace is actually pretty good now," and then he wasn't.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, that goes to show how much a coaching staff can let down a player. You, you know, you play their strengths and weaknesses, and that goes back to the whole you know round peg square hole kind of thing. Where look, Nussmeyer he looked like a good quarterback, but he didn't really produce anything in that game. It's
0: yeah, he had like four drops on eight attempts though.
1: Yeah, I, I Look, I know all that, but you can say that there's been drops for Max Johnson as well. So my point is is that I do agree that Nussmeier looked good. You could see stuff there, but it didn't translate into production, even against McNeese. And that's what a freshman quarterback will do.
0: That's not necessarily my worry. My worry is that like you're going to form bad habits – Yes. Put a guy into these situations. Like this is what the bears are trying to avoid with Justin Fields, even though I think they're misguided in doing so. Cause Fields is, is really, really good. But like, if you put a guy in there in a bad situation and he's, you know, asked to process too much that he can't handle, he's just going to, you know, try to, to try to deal with that situation. He's going to form a lot of habits that aren't workable. And he's just going to be ruined forever. Like that's kind of what LSU did to Brandon Harris. By like yes. making them like they made him throw only on like third and eight situations which are incredibly difficult early in his career in this demanding offense
1: well his first game was a road game in Auburn right like when they have played him the game. week before at New Mexico State it, it was yeah it was terrible mismanagement and they that's crash kind of that kid. And, and I, I liked how they used Nasma. I think this was the best way to ease him in there but at the same time you don't want him starting particularly behind this offensive line right yeah, yeah. it's the
0: offensive line.
1: Yeah. So once again, we're sorry because we celebrate line play here at the Sneaky Good Podcast. Linemen are the best people outside
0: of look, the, You know, the, we believe linemen are important, which is why we're so you know upset that we don't have any.
1: Yeah, or just maybe it'll come together because
0: there is I, talent I there. Yeah, but yeah. It,
1: it, it. But it needs to come around. It needs to come around quick because if you can't block none of your fancy ideas work.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of teams on the schedule that require that you block. Like I'm really scared of Florida now because all Todd Grantham does is blitz and they're going to be protecting with five the whole game. And yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to go well.
0: Like, you know, Todd Grantham, like if you protect with seven, you can catch him, you know, with lesser numbers on the back end and take a shot and, You know, grab 40 yards. Like, that's what Ole Miss did against them last year. They were, you know, they hulked up their protections and they started taking deep shots and dropping bombs all over them. But, you know, that's going to go badly.
1: That's going to go badly.
0: 2021
1: LSU football. You've been listening to the Sneaky Good podcast. Join us next week when we break down the songs of Joy Division, which will be even less depressing than this.